Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. That is right. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. It's in the huddle on a Monday. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. I am so fired up for so many reasons. Getting on a plane later on tonight, heading to Indianapolis to the scouting combine, scheduled to talk with Josh McDaniels, the new Raiders head coach, on Wednesday. We'll see if we can get some time with Dave Ziegler, the new general manager, but a chance to finally get a little bit of a sense of where this whole thing is headed, free agency, the draft. I know we're not going to see all the cards on the table, obviously, but just be able to pick their brain a little bit on what's going on to this point. Remember, they've been on the job since early January, or excuse me, um, mid-January, season 17 games now, and the playoffs, of course. So get a chance to kind of get a feel for where things are headed. That is tomorrow. I will be on the ground in Indianapolis at the Combine sometime tomorrow on those red-eye flight from Las Vegas to Indianapolis. But today, a good friend of mine, Jeff Perlman, the tremendous sports author. He's written about so many people, so many teams, uh, has recently written uh, two books, really, about the uh, Los Angeles Lakers, one that chronicled the Kobe Bryant, Shaquille, uh, Phil Jackson era. But prior to that, another era in Lakers history where they won five championships as well. That was Showtime. And his book, Showtime, has been turned into an HBO series called Winning Time, and it premieres on HBO later this month, or I should say March. We're basically in March. Cannot wait to get to a chance to talk to Jeff at 410 about the project, um, the excitement of it, being an author and having your book be turned into a special, and that process, uh, his thoughts of the Lakers right now, which, oh my gosh, what in the world is going on with the Lakers? Uh, craziness in Los Angeles. I keep expecting things to turn around, and maybe when they get Anthony Davis, maybe that'll be the trick where they just get dialed in and they start playing harder and start doing what they're capable of doing. But to date, it's just been such an erratic season. They may not even make the playoffs. Incredible. Going to talk to Paul Gutierrez at 5 p.m. from ESPN. He wrote an article about Derek Carr, what, could the Raiders do with Derek Carr, extend him, trade him, uh, play him on the last year of his contract, dangling the possibility of an extension after that? Well, we're going to get Paul on uh, the air tonight, today, to talk about his story, but I'm also going to see what he would do. I'll talk about what I'll do, what I would do if I were the Raiders. We're going to get Paul's thoughts on that. Sam Gordon will join us at 5.30 from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and at 4.30 at the bottom of the hour... Former Raiders linebacker Kirk Morrison will be in the huddle with us, and he'll walk us through the player's perspective on the eve of the scouting combine. There's a lot of nervous 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 23-year-olds right about now that showed up in, uh, in Indianapolis today and will continue to do so during the week as they try to put their best foot forward in a process that leads to their dreams coming to fruition. And the interesting thing about that is 
everybody's dream is to get to the NFL, but what you quick, quickly realize, it's not just about getting there, it's staying there. But the first thing has to happen, and that's to get there. And a big part of that process begins today, or well, it actually did start today, but really uh, as the week unfolds at the scouting combine, going through all the medicals, all the physicals, getting on the field. Not everybody's going to do that. There's some injured players, and we'll talk about that uh, during the course of this show. Um, but there will be a lot of players, obviously, that get on the field, do their thing throughout all the agility uh, drills, everything that uh, they ask you to do at the combine, some of which are... Does that really make sense? Uh, we'll talk to Kirk Morrison about that. But there's others, too. I want to see uh, some of these quarterbacks throw. I want to see some of these wide receivers uh, running their route trees and catching the ball. It's That's still football right there. I know it's just going against air, but it's still pretty important to figure out, you know, what kind of arm does Malik Willis have? You know, um, how it, agile is that quarterback or is the other quarterback? And and so all those little things play into it. Um, but it's not the whole piece of the puzzle. It's part of the puzzle. And I think every NFL general manager that I've ever talked to, every scout that I've ever talked to, has basically said that. You can't base it all on what you're going to see this week in Indianapolis. There's volumes and volumes and volumes of film that – uh, general managers, scouts, coaches are literally taking a look at right now. There's intel. There's interviews. There's background checks. There's medicals. That's a huge part of uh, the equation this week. What does the knee look like from the kid at whatever school you want to talk about? What does your doctor say about the shoulder of the linebacker at such and such a school? Is he getting a big doc? If we draft this guy, can we get four or five years out of him? I mean, you're looking at a minimum of four or five years. And I think it would surprise some people when that talk comes about and, and the importance of those conversations. And, you know, there are teams, and that's why you'll see a guy maybe slip to a certain round uh, because of a medical situation. And you figure, well, if we can get four years out of him off the shoulder, not going to invest, obviously, a high pick out of him. But he still brings value even at four years. If the doctor tells us, hey, we get, you get four good years out of him, and then it's getting a little chancy, well, that's fine. That takes him to the next uh, contract, the second contract. But if he could play well for us for three or four years, money well spent. You know, I hate to say that these guys are, you know, everybody's an asset. I learned that a long time ago in professional sports. Everybody's an asset. Whether you're a minor league a player in triple A, single A, you know, can, and the, and, and what you are to a team is somebody that can you help us? How can you help us? Can you help us on the team? Can you help us as a trade asset? You know, there's, there's, but everybody is something to a team and to the cause. And so even if you can, you know, if your doctor says, Hey, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to get beyond five years, but those four years could be pretty important. But at 4.10, we are going to be bringing in Jeff Perlman from uh, a great author, great friend of mine, and his the upcoming special, and I can't wait to see it, Winning Time, uh, will be coming up in just uh, a few days, really, um, or later this month in, in March. Uh, and we're going to get Jeff's thoughts on the Lakers right now, the Lakers past and present, uh, his show, the the transitioning from it, you know, his his book becoming a script. I know as a writer, you want to hang on to every word. You fight for every word. But at some point, you got to 
relinquish that control and say, okay, the screenwriters do a better job, the producer, the director, all of that. Um, uh, hold on one second. What do we got? Jeff's on the line and he's ready. Oh, okay, great. Uh, we are going to go right out to the Raider Nation uh, guest line and welcome in Jeff Perlman, a friend of mine and a tremendous author. Um, you know him from all sorts of books that he's written, whether it's the Dallas Cowboys, the, the New York Mets, the Lakers, uh, two books uh, out of the Lakers, one of which we're getting ready to talk about has been turned into an HBO special called Winning Time. It's going to be uh, on HBO this month. Jeff Perlman, first of all, thanks so much for spending some time with us. You know it's an honor for me to talk to you about your project and everything that you're doing. How are you doing, my friend? I feel like our relationship has changed ever since I've become a Utah Hollywood star. <laughs> Jeff, I wasn't going to say anything, but you're it getting kind awkward. of big for your britches, but that's fine. You came to California, and it was bound to happen, and we are all so proud of you that it did. And actually, full disclosure, Jeff lives, you're still in Orange County, right? I am in Orange County. Okay, so I, I'm still, you know, it's it's the Hollywood thing. You're, you're, you're a step removed from Hollywood, so I don't think you'll go full Hollywood. However, truly uh, proud of you that this book of yours, Showtime, from back in the day, has become this huge, now everybody is looking forward to it. And I got to imagine, how, wh where's your level of uh, nerves right now? Um, as the world gets to see your book turned into a, uh, a show on HBO, where's your level of nerve right now, or anxiousness, or urgency? I, I'm not just saying this, I would say it's a zero. I really? get really nervous when a book is... Yeah, I, well, I heard what you were saying, and you're right, like... Um, like, I relinquished all responsibility for the show. Now, I was, they made me very welcome, and they made me a part of it, but I'm not a writer of the show. I didn't want to be the author who sticks his nose in everything. So, for me, I mean, the book did well. People seem to like the book. If the show does great, I'm thrilled, and I can take all the credit, and if the show does terribly, I can just say, look, <laughs> I didn't write it. You know, hey. Right. <laughs> so, I'm just excited. Okay, so did it was it a process to get to that point where you know you you just didn't want you 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 handed it over to the professionals of that world of writing? Was it was it a quick tr uh, process or or did it take a little time when you're on set and watching things and seeing some of your words turned into dialogue? Uh, was it a difficult process or an easy process? Well, it took forever. I mean the uh, the rights a screenwriter named Jim Heck came to my house in 2014. So eight years ago, and was asking for the rights. So that's a long time ago. Yes. And I never thought it would happen. I was very skeptical, very dubious of it all. Um, I've had bad experiences in the past with, you know, people optioning a book and being full of crap and making promises that never come to. So uh, it took forever. I didn't believe him, didn't believe him. I went to Adam McKay's house, didn't know who he was. Didn't, even when I knew who he was, I didn't think it would happen. Got a contract from HBO. Still didn't think it would happen. And I think it wasn't until I saw Sally Field was cast in the show. Wow. When I was like, whoa, well, that's kind of something. So it's been long. And then they started filming. Like my wife and I and my kids had cameos in the first episode. And that was filmed on October 3rd, 2019. Wow. So it's been a long time because of COVID. Yeah. Well, you're, the, the words sound just like uh, an acceptance speech where at the Golden Globes or, or the Oscars where people, and it almost sounds like a cliche, but now you know how true it really is. You know, 
this has been a 15-year project. This has been, I never thought that it would ever get to this point. It's truly like that in Hollywood where things just move, and it's frustrating. I've been part of that. It's very frustrating, uh, but it moves at a snail's, it moves at its own pace. That's the whole thing, and it's completely different from the world we're used to. Uh, theirs is something that I think people are used to, even though it frustrates the people that are in on it day after day after day. But you got through it, and, and it's, it's, a, it's an accomplishment that, I mean, you should be so proud of yourself, and I'm proud of you for it. Uh, but I got to ask you, um, what, what was your, when you watch the final part of it, or the final cut, what's your favorite part? Who's your favorite character? Do you have anything that, I don't want you to you know, diss anybody else, but do you have a favorite uh, among everything that happened on, in, in, in the show itself? Yeah, I would say my favorite guy in the show is, he doesn't have a huge, the first season, hopefully there'll be a second season that we care about. There's an actor named Delante Souza who plays Michael Cooper. And what I love is, I got to know him a little bit. First, a great guy. But his story is the story of so many cast members. Like a year ago, he was on YouTube giving lessons on how to flip houses wow. in Maryland. He was a child actor who just did like community theater and stuff. He saw an audition. He saw it on like, uh, you know, some actor's website auditioning for the show. He never knew who Michael Cooper was. He never played basketball before. He had to send in a, a, a demo of him playing basketball. I've seen that demo. It is not pretty. <laughs> like, he was not a basketball player. And he's just, he's a lefty also. So he had to play, learn how to play about Michael Cooper righty, having never really been a basketball player. And he's wonderful. And his story is so great. And there's so many, like the kid playing Magic Johnson, Quincy Isaiah. Three months ago, nobody knew who this guy was. He was a Division Three college football center from Michigan who all of a sudden his, his face is on a billboard. And to me, that's the greatest thing about the show, like by far, is all these young actors who they plucked out of nowhere who are suddenly starring alongside John C. Riley and Adrian Brody and Sally Field and Jason Siegel and Jason Clark. It's just, it's like a, it's almost like the Magic Johnson coming out of Michigan State, landing in L.A. sort of story. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we're talking to Jeff Perlman. Uh, at, you can follow him at Jeff Perlman. And uh, he wrote a book called Showtime about the Lakers, Showtime era. From about 19, I'd say 79-ish when, when Jerry Buss bought the team, or right before that as that process unfolded, uh, through really when, when uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar retired in 1989, 1990, right around then. That, that era was called Showtime, and they won five championships. It was a special, I was there. Uh, it was a special, special time in Los Angeles uh, and for that organization, obviously. And the book, obviously, uh, Jeff, covers all of it. But, you know, when you, when you condense it into a film version, even in a series like this, you have to, you know, obviously get really focused on things. What would you say the main thrust of the, of the show is? Well, I mean, I think it's a nostalgia. The first season is all about 79-80. So it's a 10-episode first season about 1979-80. So really, I would say the centerpiece of it is sort of the collision of magic Jerry Buss and Kareem and sort of Jerry Buss buys the Lakers magic is drafted by the Lakers. Kareem is the veteran, the stoic veteran who's a little skeptical of the whole scheme Oh yeah, and how it all comes together. And there's a lot of sort of uh, fringe, not fringe, but you know, exterior parts. Like there's Norm Nixon feeling threatened by magic coming along. Yep. There's Michael Cooper, this guy with lacking confidence. And there's, you know, Jeannie Buss learning under her, her father's tutelage and kind of wanting to be more involved. So there are all these, Solar satellite storyline, along with 
the main story, which is really the, the arrival of magic and the story of sort of, in a way, of dreams coming true in Hollywood. And what's crazy about all that, Jeff, I'm not sure everybody really understands this, it was all a coin flip. That's the Lakers yeah. ended up getting the first pick in that draft was through literally a coin flip. And it could have gone the other way just as easily, and we would have never seen Magic Johnson in the Laker uniform, or at least the way we saw it. And also, the year before, the, the Celtics actually drafted Larry Bird the year before uh, in a w- weird rule that they had back then where you could hold on to somebody's – you could draft him a year before, hold on to his rights, and then get him the next year. So their rookie years were the same year, but Larry Bird was actually drafted the year before, played out his last year at Indiana State. That whole thing colliding, I'm sure, is a big part of that first season to the Larry Bird-Magic Johnson um, uh, you know, situation. But how many seasons are we talking here? I mean, are, is it, has it been picked up for another one, or is it going to go through the whole Showtime era? What do you think? I mean, I hope so. That would be uh, great. Yeah, they optioned my second Lincoln book, Three Room Circus. I think just as a, maybe this is a possibility down the road of, you know, continuing with the Shaq over years. But I think it all determines, it all depends on how this season is received. So hopefully people watch it and like it. I can't see that it would be anything but... Um, I can't wait to see. Well, I didn't. I didn't mention to you that in episode three, aliens attack and kidnap <laughs> Magic and Cream, and the uh, it's then it becomes from uh, episodes four through ten. It's just a musical uh, ode to Happy Days. Well, I'll say this: uh, as much partying that was going on at that period of time, it would have fit right in. It wouldn't have looked yeah, exactly. suspicious at all. Uh, I cannot wait to see um, how Jerry Buss is portrayed. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a glimpse of that? And then how, um, how interesting it was or how challenging do you think it was capturing Jerry Buss? Because he was one of the most unique individuals I've ever encountered in my entire life. Well, it's really interesting because I'm not, I mean, I'm not an actor. I'm a sports writer. So I've learned a ton from this experience. And I asked, uh, there's an actor, Sean Patrick Small, who plays Larry Bird. And he's really, really good. And I asked him the other day in a Q&A session I did with him, if he's playing Larry Bird, are you literally playing Larry Bird, or are you playing your interpretation of Larry Bird? Interesting. And I think in a way the answer is I'm, I'm interpreting, it can't be a literal reincarnation of Larry Bird, so you play your interpretation. And I think the John C. Riley character, like John C. Riley doesn't really look like Jerry Buss, um, but he has this swagger. There's a lot of, it reminds me a little bit of Boogie Nights. Okay. He was in. Oh, yeah. And kind of that swagger and that sort of gusto and, you know, the confidence when you're really feeling confident. I guess you're high on Coke and women are all around. I don't even know. But um, not the Jerry Bussey's Coke, but I just like there's a uh, there's just a real bravado to it. That's really, really cool. And the uh, the interplay between him and Quincy Isaiah Magic's character is just really good. And you wouldn't know. I mean, they could. I'm, I'm not. I've said this a few times, but it's really true. Like. They could have spent the next hundred years casting Magic Johnson, and they wouldn't be able to find someone better than this guy. It's ridiculous how good he is. It's interesting how that works out sometimes. You just catch lightning in a bottle or the right person at the right time. Um, and we've seen it throughout the history in Hollywood where you go, I can't imagine anyone else playing that character. And I'm sure we're going to say the same thing um, after watching uh, this. And I believe that the first episode is March 6th. Am I, am I right on that? You are right. And I just want to say, I feel like this whole experience for me is lightning in a bottle. Like some guy named Jim Hex, a screenwriter who did Ice Age, The Meltdown, read the book, was looking for something to do, loved the Lakers, showed up at my house bearing presents on Easter Sunday, 2014. Wow. Asked if I'd trust him with the book. 
no one else was calling. I gave him the rights, and here we are, like eight years later, and people are congratulating me, and I didn't really do anything. I just got extremely, extremely fortunate. Well, that sometimes happens uh, in life, and uh, it's worth after everything that you've done. Uh, this is the, you. You're, you should be rewarded uh, in this way, and no nerves going into uh, Sunday's premiere. Uh, I would imagine there's something going on, or uh, you know, uh, when, when you think about uh, when you think about that. I think it's going to be well received. I know just watching it on Twitter, and you know, uh, when when everybody tweets out. Uh, you know, you know the the summary of the of the series and and some of the scenes from the series. Everybody just goes nuts for this thing. Um, yeah, it's got to give you some excitement and some and some pride. I mean, I'll say this: my nervousness is there's a premiere Wednesday night in L.A. Oh, and I'm taking my kids. My wife is out of town, so I'm taking my kids, and it is so not my scene, and it's so not my comfort zone. And you know how we are, as sports writers. Yes, I, I literally today, not joking, took my suit to the dry cleaner because. How often do I wear that thing? And it was like gathering cobwebs and I bought new shoes and, you know, oh, yeah. and like those sort of scenes give me much more anxiety than whether someone, you know, likes a show or the show gets, you know, killed on Twitter. I'm like, definitely with I'm you on worried that. about falling. Now, I know yeah. your, your, your kids have always been proud of you, as they should be, but this has got to make the dad cool meter go up a little bit, right? They won't admit it, but I think, you know, about well, my son is probably very cool, but I think so. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, cannot wait to watch uh, on Sunday. Um, it'll be a, a great experience. Just I, I lived that, so I can't wait to relive it right now. And I know your your words ring true. And if you if you have anything to do with it, it's going to be uh, top notch. Jeff, thanks so much for spending some time with us in the hole. Truly appreciate it, my friend. All right, man. Thank you so much. You got it. That's Jeff Perlman, the author of Showtime. It's been turned into an HBO miniseries, 10 episodes for the first season. I can almost guarantee it's going to be picked up for the second season because trust me when I say it gets even crazier and better as the years go on. There's so much drama uh, to the Lakers during Showtime. And also, we talk about all the triumph, five championships. They went to the finals nine out of the 10 years, but... There was a lot of heartache as well, and especially against the Celtics a few years later. So uh, after that first season, so I would imagine that they're gonna, especially if the writer is a, is a huge Laker fan, he knows what's up, Demond. Yeah, just because I didn't want to ask Jeff about this because obviously he wouldn't know. But you talk about drama behind the scenes. Also with the production of this show, Will Ferrell and his longtime partner Adam McKay, who's basically yes. who directed it, they broke up their friendship. They dissolved their partnership because Will Ferrell wanted that. John C. Riley role of Dr. Jerry Buss. He wanted it so bad, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to cast John in it. And Will Ferrell's his, like... One of his best friends, too, right? Exactly, and Will Ferrell's basically like, we're done, we're not friends anymore. Man. I know it's not as simple as that, but that's just how coveted, because Will Ferrell is that big Laker fan from Southern Huge. California. He like wanted this role more than anything. Yeah, And to have your best friend like, yeah, I'm going to cast one of your other good friends, because we don't see you as a fit. As Dr. And nothing against Will because I'm a yeah, huge fan. Yeah, could you fan. have seen him? No, not necessarily because Jerry was Jerry was Hollywood, but he wasn't like and and it was he was just such a unique person. And trust me, I've had <laughs> we I, I, I have some stories uh, to say the least. But he was such an interesting person. But he was Hollywood, but he wasn't really Hollywood because he was actually from Nebraska, I think it was, and came out here. He was a chemist. One of the smartest guys I've ever met. I've literally seen him up on a chalkboard do a you know a, a math problem where you're just stunned. I mean, he's got 
in chemistry. Oh, so know. he earned that doctor title. Oh, my God. Yeah, he wasn't a doctor. doctor. He, he was a doctor of chemistry. I mean, if you to this day, if you look at chemistry books, I, don't, I think it's called a rule or something that is in chemistry where somebody writes it up and, and gets credit for coming up with it. He's got some of those. Like, he's credited with that. That's how brilliant he was. And he, he, he used that to become this tremendous real estate agent That's how, or real estate a buyer and seller and player in Los Angeles. And that's where he got the equity to go ahead and buy the Lakers, the Forum, the Kings. He also owned the Los Angeles Kings for a long time. Um, and just out of the blue, and you got to understand, the Lakers owner prior to that was a guy by the name of Jack Kent Cook. He was an eccentric, uh, just billionaire. And he sells it to this playboy, Jerry Buss, who's like living the life in Los Angeles in his early 50s, probably at that time, maybe late 40s. And he just... He became the perfect owner for the perfect team in the perfect city at the perfect time, and magic was created. It literally was. It was It was really great. I cannot wait to watch. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Monday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Our thanks again to Jeff Perlman. Uh, the author of Showtime, that book about the Lakers, Showtime era from about 1979 to about 1990, let's say, um, has been turned into a miniseries on HBO. Season one premieres March 6th, um, and I cannot wait. I am just beside myself. I cannot wait uh, to to check it out. But uh, our thanks for him or to him for dropping a, dropping in the huddle to to talk about it. Uh, tomorrow, the scouting combine gets hot and heavy. I will be in Indianapolis. Half of the coaches and then general managers in the league will start talking tomorrow. The other half on Wednesday, players will start talking uh, on Wednesday as we start kind of grinding through um, the uh, the the. 2022 draft, the beginning part uh, of grinding through the 2022 draft. I'm going to be talking to a whole bunch of prospects. Hey, if there's anyone you want to hear from, if there's anybody that you want to um, talk to, me to talk to while I'm out there, uh, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I'll try to get questions to as many players that I possibly can as the week goes on. Uh, it's one of the cool things, being able to uh, to really um, hit uh, guys up Um you know, with uh, with questions, who who are they talking to? Um, you know, are teams showing interest? Are they one of the the thirty guys that uh, that that um, you know is 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 requesting to talk to you? That's always a big part of of uh, you know what they do. So, and we're waiting on Kirk Morris and our next guest uh, to jump on board. By the way, I got a chance to talk to Derek Carr. On Friday, uh, remember, I had to cut the show short uh, a little bit and uh, head over to uh, Calvary Chapel Church here in Las Vegas. Uh, Derek Carr was speaking at that church, uh, had a little uh, uh, interview with him uh, prior to it, and he is promoting uh, his men's altar conference, which is April 8th and 9th over at UNLV, um, and I will get into that uh, at some point, talk a little bit about the event that he's having. But Kind of interesting uh, way he couched his contract talks, which is you know, he's looking forward to being able to use money that he makes uh, to bless others. He's built churches in Haiti, food, aid, schools, churches, um, clothing. 
to to people that need it. But also, I understand. You know, just he 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 did say this. Well, I'll let you guys know there's some players out there that I want to play with in the NFL. So I'll keep that in mind uh, when I'm negotiating this contract. He didn't say it in exact th- those terms, although he did say there's people that he wants to play with, players that he wants to play with. You know, Devontae Adams, I'm just saying, uh, they've made it pretty well known uh, that they like to play together again after playing uh, with each other at Fresno State. So we'll get into that, what it all means uh, for Derek Carr. But without further ado, going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line. Welcome in my friend. Kirk Morrison, former Raiders linebacker. And Kirk, first of all, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. I was just looking at your combine results. And I'm going to just throw this at, out to you, Kirk. 2005, does time fly or what, my man? <laughs> yeah, it, it flies, man. I, I can't believe it. Um, dang, uh, 17 years ago. I can't believe that. That's a long, long time ago. But you know what? It feels like yesterday, Vinny. It really does. It does, and uh, every time I see you, it looks like yesterday. So uh, you feel it looks to me like you can step back out there uh, and and you know maybe play at least you know, maybe first and second down on some rundowns, maybe uh, just you know helping with the run. But I got to ask you, Kirk, you've been through this, all right? The scouting combine is getting ready to kick off this week, um, and I know there's a bunch of anxious players right now. Uh, thinking about it, they've prepared for it as much as they possibly can. Uh, they're getting ready to to get out there and and do their thing in front of every scout, general manager, coach uh, in the NFL. What's the anxiety level uh, right now for these young guys as they get ready to uh, to do what they got to do over at uh, Indianapolis? You know, it's extremely high, and the reason why the anxiety is so high is because uh, of the unknown. You know, one thing is that guys have been training, and you know they got their own trainers and facilities that they've been at. Um, but when you get out there to the combine, it's a little bit different. You know, it's um, it's you in front of everybody. And now this year, we'll be able to be fans. So um, I think it may be a little more exciting for guys. But the anxiety is built up. It's just the unknown is that, you know, you've been a football player for a very long time. And you feel like the film uh, can speak for itself. But yet, you know, you're here and people are going to look at numbers. You know, it's always the, the craziest thing for me that I went through was that, you know, I had all these guys and everybody walked around like they were going to the first round. Right. It was it was crazy. Man. Everybody literally walks around the combine as if they're a first rounder. And I always remember we had the rookie symposium, which was after, and all the guy, half the guys in my group, more of them, you know, went after me. And so it was always kind of funny. I'm like, just go out there and just be yourself. Just be who you are. Uh, enjoy the process. Enjoy the meetings. It is so much more than running a 40 or doing the testing. It really is trying to build relationships. And, you know, for me, I'll remember my uh, my combine experience for the rest of my life, just of, uh, of how much it really shaped and impacted my uh, you know, my, my route to the NFL. And it's, it's, it's really a job interview is what it ultimately yeah. comes down to. And, yes, there's a physical element to it, and it's, and it's very important. Uh, but I think what happens behind the scenes is equally uh, as por- as important. Were you prepared for for that part of it? You know, just the the interview interviews getting peppered with questions. Um, you know, being yeah. put up there on the chalkboard to to explain what you would do against that right. offensive look. Were you prepared for that? Yeah, Vinny, you know me, man. I'm, I'll, oh, I'm yeah. a four year starter at San Diego State. I mean, I couldn't wait for the beating process. I couldn't wait for them to tell me, "Hey, can you draw this?" Because I can draw in my entire defense where I belong, where the D line went, this and that. I drew plays offensively. 
um, the, you know, I, I knew that part of it, the, that football part of it. I, I couldn't wait for it. Uh, the, the funny thing is, though, Vinny, that was really uh, – it was that there were some guys who had, like, full-on suits going into these meetings. And I'm like, why are they wearing a suit? And then it kind of just kind of hit me that, you know, a lot of some guys have character issues and they want to come in and try to present the best. But I'm like, if you wear a suit, you really try to show everybody, hey, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. <laughs> Don't believe what you read. Like, <laughs> I'm like, just would come as you are, you know. And I'm, I mean, that's how I did. I came in my sweatsuit, sat down. I love football, man. I love ball. You know, put me on the board and I can talk football with the best of them. So uh, that was my whole mentality. You know, sometimes, honestly, start, you know, you, you kind of get starstruck. You know what I mean? Like, you know, one minute, you know, I'm sitting in my room and then I have a meeting. I'm sitting in front of Andy Reid when he was wow. the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles at the time. And then you're sitting down and, oh, here's Marvin. You're sitting in front of Marvin Lewis, right? <laughs> you know, um, Sean Payton at the time when they just took over the job and over uh, with the New Orleans Saints and they were looking for a linebacker. So it was, it was for me kind of surreal because here – you know, just six months prior, I'm playing in college, and all of a sudden now I'm at the Combine and I'm meeting some of the game's greatest minds offensively and defensively. So that that part of it, I was prepared, and, and I kind of held my own. And I, I really believe for me, I think my situation was a bit different, was because I played in the Senior Bowl. So I kind of had a relationship with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and also the Raiders staff who were actually my actual coaching staff at the Senior Bowl. So the anxiety was a little lower for me because I had already been around for a week in Mobile with the NFL coaching staff, and they were just some regular guys, regular dudes. And so I didn't have that same anxiety that maybe some guys had at the Combine. We're talking to Kirk Morrison, former Raiders uh, and NFL linebacker and a veteran of the scouting combine. Uh, and and uh, it's great to talk to him tonight especially because there's a whole bunch of guys uh, and players are about to ready to, to walk what he's already walked through um, in in his career, and it's different for everybody. And everybody is, right. you know, um, there's levels of, of of being prepared. Whether it's going into the classroom, the meetings, the medicals, uh, the physicals, going out on the field, it's just a it's it's a nonstop deal, and you got to be prepared for it. And uh, some guys handle it better than others. There's no question uh, about that. You can follow Kirk uh, at Kirk Morrison uh, on on Twitter, and I suggest uh, that you do. If you had any advice for some of the some of the uh, youngsters out there getting ready to do what you've already done, what would you what would you tell them? Stay off your phone. <laughs> yeah, Twitter, yeah. Glad Twitter probably wasn't around back in two hundred five too. No, it was not. So uh, a lot more, not more things that can distract you. Um, I think the biggest thing it really is to stay off your phone, um, and, and, and it's hard. It really is. But you know, I think Kobe Bryant said, "Do something you've never done." Um, you got to give up something that you're willing to not give up. Honestly, you know, you got to give up the phone for a little bit. Give up. Uh, whatever it may be, find something that you can kind of get your mind off of it and worry about or take care of what you can take care of, honestly. Because, I, you know, for me, I'm looking at mock drafts and I kept, you know, just kept doing it and doing it. And more so after the combine than during the combine because, you know, you're looking at these mock drafts and some people got you going in the second round, some people got you going in the third round. And, you know, Vinny, I'm just, my mind is just kind of so focused on that. I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta run this 40. I got to jump this high. I got to wait this much. And, you know, when it comes down to it, man, the, the, the NFL, it's the draft is such a, you know, it's a uncalculated science, really, 
to me. It just you just you do what you can. And my advice would be is, you know, make them say why. <laughs> the one thing I always say this: this is the, the advice I, I really do say is, you know what? Why won't they draft me? Right. You know, kind of situation. Like make them have to make the tough decision. Like we'd be foolish not to draft this guy. Make them make the tough decision. Like when you when you walk out of Indy, when you leave Indy. You want every coaching staff, every organization to say, man, we have to draft this guy. So that's that was always my mentality. It's the mindset I had going in. And, uh, you know, go out there and compete, too. You know, you, and you'll still have a pro day and all that stuff, but it's something about being in, in, in Indy at the Combine. You know, it's uh, what a lot of people remember most. So, yeah, I, that's my whole thing is just have fun with it, enjoy it, but – Stay off your phone and make them have to draft you. No doubt about it. I, I and I always wonder this, Kirk. Um, you know, whenever you read a scouting report uh, that's online, and and I always have to remind myself, anybody could be writing some of these scouting reports. By the way, so you definitely have to keep that in mind. But you know, when you when you do see some of the scouting reports by some of the reputable people uh, out there, maybe yeah. NFL.com or, or or something along those lines, and I'm sure you looked at your scouting report and every time you look at a scouting report there's pluses and minuses they're going to talk about the negatives as well um how deflating is the is when you read that negative uh, or inspirational motivational or just trying to get it out of your mind don't even think about it how do you uh, assess and weigh when you read negative things about yourself yeah it's a great question man it is it's uh it's really more motivating gives you that chip on your shoulder you know for me i, I think mine was uh just you know lacks the straight straight line speed you know i wasn't a burner i wasn't a four five four four guy but i mean what what linebacker you know honestly truly is unless he's just got this guy given ability to run um you know at the time playing linebacker i was being asked to do a lot different than i think today's linebackers are being asked to play right you know, you you know, I, I was a three down linebacker, first, second, and third down, and it really wasn't an, an eleven passing game that we're seeing now. With you know the three wide receivers, one tight end. That's the only time you got that formation was third down. It was, you know, two tight ends. It's two backs in the game. It's, it was a much different NFL. So for me, like when I saw some of the things that were, oh, you know, can't you know, can he play? It was just just little things like man coverage, not man coverage. Can he play in zone and a lot of the things I'm just scratching my head. Saying, I played in the NFL style defense, man. We had NFL style checks. I did everything in, in that defense, and so it was always funny to read that stuff. But I'm saying, like, have they watched my entire film? Have they seen everything? So I just more or less use it as motivation in anything, just so I can go out there and and, and really honestly take a look and and say, you know, I, I I'm going to work on it, but. I continue to use a lot of the negatives and it kind of fueled me in the off season to want to go out there and, and be better in certain aspects of my game. Yeah. And for anyone who's listening, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I worked for the Lakers and I went back in their annals and looked at uh, scouting reports for some of the greatest players that you're ever going to ever Larry bird, everybody. Yeah. 
and there would be <laughs> there would be a negative section in there. You know, I'm like, yeah. what the heck? But so it's just something that they have to do, and you have to keep that in mind as a prospect that they're going to nitpick and they're going to talk about things, but it doesn't define you, and um, you can't let it uh, define you. Kirk, is there anybody in particular that you're really looking forward to uh, to seeing this week? I know it's just the combine; they're out there in shorts running around, but anybody in particular that uh, that Kirk's looking looking forward to uh, checking out? Yeah, I can't wait. I'll be there on Wednesday. Nice. I'll get a chance to see a couple of guys. Uh, you know, throughout my college football coverage throughout the year, I've seen a lot of guys play, but, you know, seeing them at the combine and kind of interacting with them and just, you know, really, uh, you know, hearing their stories. I think a lot of them have some stories to tell, and it's great to get that one-on-one perspective of it. Um, obviously, N'Kobe Dean, the Buckets Award winner, you want to see where he falls in line. I think the big thing for me is just the trends. It'll be three years in a row, I think that we're trying to look for these positionless players, um, especially on the defensive side. That's that's what my whole focus is on now, is that we had the Isaiah Simmons, you know, who came out of Clemson a couple of years back. Then last year, what Micah Parsons was able to do um, as well, and then who could be that player this year? You know, me a positionless player that you can rush the passer, play off the ball, linebacker, you can blitz them, anything like that. So for me, that's what I'm focusing on paying attention to uh, obviously your edge rushers but you know guys that can make an impact right away and that's what we saw this year with a couple of guys in particular that i'm thinking of right now like rashawn slater at left tackle how well he played for the Chargers this year i mean you throw in jamar chase a guy who opted out and how well he played at wide receiver and i mentioned michael parsons man these these guys really really had a good rookie year and i think that that's what we're going to see this year. Uh, and also, too, just a couple more things is that, you know, in talking to some of the guys and scouts who I've been around, too, Vinny, they really feel like this is one of the deepest drafts in NFL history. Yep. And I say that only because of just because of the COVID year, mm-hmm. guys who didn't have a grade and didn't have enough football and some guys who had seasons that were canceled, you know, really – Went back to school. I mean, I know a couple of uh, six-year guys in this draft, five-year guys in this draft that would have came out early. And I'm saying this, that you're going to get a guy in the second and third round that has first-round type of talent. You know what I mean? Agreed. Like that's just because there's so many good players this year that I don't take it as a knock on where you're getting drafted. That is just flooded with guys who had an extra year of school, an extra year to go out there and show what they can do because of a, the previous COVID year. And I think we're going to get a much better, uh, I think we're going to get much more production from this rookie year's class. That's what I think I'm anticipating. That's from the guys who I've talked to as well. All right, last question, Kirk. Uh, I need you to put your uh, San Diego State Letterman's jacket on. Because uh, yeah. Matt Ariza, um, a yeah. punter, and uh, we don't normally talk about punters um, when we're talking about the draft, but I think this is a legit weapon uh, that's coming into the NFL uh, here uh, from San Diego State. Make the case for him for being a, not even a low-round draft pick, but you know maybe even a, a mid-second-day draft pick type of a guy, or at least third. Yeah, he's a, we- yeah, he's a weapon, and, and saw him throughout the year. Not only is an outstanding punter, but he was also an outstanding kicker as well, an outstanding kickoff returns, I mean, kickoff specialist. So I think you're getting three in one. Now, he probably won't kick field goals uh, in the NFL, but he will definitely punt the football uh, if you need it. We all know you know, you need that uh, backup emergency kicker. We've seen kickers go down at times yeah. throughout the season. He can go in and, and, and get you through a game or two or three. Uh, his punting has been... Outstanding. Now, it does come with a caveat, too, though. Uh-oh. Right? 
my, my, my caveat is this. Um, yeah, he's got a 70-yarder and 80-yard punch, and I'm saying, is that good punting or is that just bad offense? <laughs> true, if true. Multiple, <laughs> if you got multiple 80-yard uh, punts in a year, uh, that, that's telling me that the offense doesn't push in the ball well down the field. You're put, gotta, yeah, you're punting okay. from the back of the end zone. <laughs> yeah, man. So no, I uh, I joke about, you know, people have asked me about that. Said, oh, man, that dude can, he can kick at the length of the field. I said, <laughs> Well, I don't know if that's a good thing. I mean, he's kicking it way too many too often. No doubt <laughs> about be, it. Uh, yeah, let's kick it inside the 20. I mean, when we're talking about 20 or uh, his red zone punting, then then we're talking about something. But, no, I think he's uh, going to be a good prospect. The only, you know, I think we always talk about the criticism. Only criticism I, I've, I've seen so far just needs to speed up the uh, the process a little bit, his timing. Uh, NFL, that ball has to be kicked away. Got It's got to be gone. Uh, college, a little bit slower of a time, but he will have to speed that time up when he comes to the NFL. Yep, yep, yep. Adjustments uh, going from college to uh, to the NFL. Nobody knows that better than Kirk Morrison because he pulled it off. He can just talk about it. He actually did it. Kirk Morrison, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. I'll see you in Indianapolis. Uh, safe travels, my friend. Thank you. Uh, all good, Vinny. See you there. All right, you got it. That's uh, Kirk Morrison, former Raiders uh, linebacker, who despite – Whatever said this, that straight line speed, all that nonsense. Yeah, he was a really good player in the NFL, and I think Raider fans understand that. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Monday. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. You don't know something funny, Devon? Lay it on me. All right, so... um, Went out and spoke with Derek Carr on Friday, right? And uh, got a chance to talk to him about the coaching change and all that, you know. So I wrote it up, quick story, put it online on Friday night. And uh, when you when you write stories, especially as the beat writer or somebody that's part of the coverage of the team, invariably somebody picks it up. Pro football, you know, talk, all those, you know, they, they kind of just scour the internet, try to find the best, most pertinent stories, latest stuff to try to put on their site, you know. As long as they link to it, it's fine with me. Um, but when they don't, that's kind of pisses you off a little bit. But anyway, I was I was just I wanted to get this quote correct from Derek Carr that uh, you know he had said on Friday about his contract situation, and I was just googling it, and I saw some of the headlines of some of those sites that you know picked up the story. One was Derek Carr breaks his silence on new coaches. And I'm like, he didn't, it wasn't like he was refusing to talk or just holding everything in. We just never, we didn't have access to him. He's doing his thing in the off season. You know, it was breaks silence like he was hiding his thoughts. And it's like, man, you see stuff like this and it's like, things get misconstrued that way. They need the clicks, Vinny. Uh, yeah. I mean, I get that. I, I, I know why they do it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, naive, but it's still like, be wary people out there of some of the things that you say, especially on those secondary sites that pick up stories from, you know, that 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 I write, Paul Gutierrez, uh, The Athletic, you know, the, the normal, regular people that cover the team. But what, to say he breaks the silence like he was refused, that almost makes it sound like he, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not, don't, don't, and you know, if, if, if he had been saying that, if we were, if, you know, I had reached out to him and he had said, you know, just not talking about that right now, that's one thing. Um, but it wasn't the case. So anyway, uh, yeah. But how does this sound? Headline: Derek Carr says a little, doesn't say a lot. But uh, yeah, click the link to see what Derek my, Carr had to say. My, nah, we need to hear that he breaks the silence. Well, my yes, yeah, true. Uh, our headline was sheds light. 
and it did very well <laughs> on the uh, on, on 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 the internet. Uh, so uh, numbers wise, uh, anything when you write about the quarterback of the team that you cover, it's always going to be popular one way or another. And it was kind of interesting because. You know what Derek said about he was talking about his blessings and how um, he's been able to use some of his money and salary to help others. You know, building churches and feeding, getting people that need it clothes and food and and all those good things. And he said, you know, obviously I, when I go into contract negotiations, I'm kind of um, summarizing what he was saying. That'll be on my mind. But there's some people in the NFL that I want to play with. And I'm going to keep that in mind, too. And to me, that was the key thing of the football stuff that he talked about. He talked about a lot more important things in football on Friday night. On Friday night, But that was the key thing from a football perspective. Because he's cognizant of the fact that the Raiders need to get better. I don't expect him to try to break the bank. I think he's going to get what he believes he's truly worth. But I think that he's going to leave room for the Raiders to also improve around him. And when he says there's players that I want to play with in the NFL, I'm thinking Deion, you know, Devontae Adams, but also being able to keep, you know, uh, a Hunter Renfro, being able to keep a Max Crosby and whoever else the Raiders deem um, viable moving forward. So if you're thinking that he's just going to go try to break the bank, I think you'd be making a mistake. But when we come back, we're going to bring in Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. And he wrote a story suggesting some of the th- some of the ways the Raiders can handle the Derek Carr situation moving forward. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonson. You're brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I'm going to get Paul's thoughts in just a second.